I got to tell you a funny story. I just reminded of it. Good pastor friend of mine in San Angelo, Texas, years ago, he had graduated Rama Bible College, and so, you know, he was always teaching faith. And one of the things was in giving. So he had people, and he taught them of principles of seed time and harvest. And one day, uh, I forget the television, the um, Christian television show, but this couple from his church was on, talking about how these principles really, really work, and their business had increased almost 60 to 100-fold in just a very short period of time. And they were praising God for the increase in their business. And so, well, of course, the pastors were glad that they you know, had, had given into good soil, and it was producing. Then they found out what their business was. They were selling drugs. See, the truth is the principle works whether you're redeemed or not. And I, I laughed. I said, did you keep the tithe and offering? He said, of course. He said, the wealth of the wicked was still coming in. I, I went, oh, no. We laughed. That was crazy. No, he's not going to increase that in here. So. Um, again, Reshman, I want to thank you for having us. It's really been nice being had. And, um, we've had fun. Y'all are our kind, of, our, our kind of people. You're nuts. Hungry for Jesus. Some years ago, in a meeting where God was moving powerfully, after the, the service, after we'd have supernatural encounters, I sat down and the pastor said, what do we do? I said, let's just worship some more. And I was sitting on the seat and Jesus walked up in front of me. And I, so he was talking to me and I'm hearing this little girl just weeping. I mean, just, and it was very distracting. I'm trying to focus on Jesus. I thought, you know, she was being touched. Well, she was, but finally it was so distracting I I looked, I opened my eyes and looked, and she was on the floor kneeling right next to me. I said, honey, what's that? But she was doing this. I'm like, what's the matter? Well, they had the drum set up there. And in the, the foot drum, I don't know what you call all those things, but in the foot drum, she would, every time she looked at that, she saw a reflection of Jesus standing in front of me. And when she would, and she was looking, but she couldn't see him in front of me except for his reflection. And I said, "What's the matter?" She told me that, and she said, "And he keeps telling me, come with me. What do I do?" I said, two things. Let me adopt you. Number one, <laughs> I want seers like that. And number two, just tell him, okay, Jesus, I want to come. So both her and her little sister were there seeing the exact same thing. And the parents, well, the mother, because the father wasn't saved yet, the mother was saying, you stop saying things like that. It's that's not God. That's imagination. And I, I rebuked her in love. Shut up. No. <laughs> that's fivefold ministry. <laughs> I said, no. I said, you don't understand. They're seeing. That's God. That's a tremendous gift. So a couple days later, this lady after the service came up and said, w would you pray for me? And I said, okay, what's the prayer need? 
she said, my daughters and I are saved, but my husband isn't. He's still Muslim, and he's very abusive to us. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> what do you want me to pray? I'm thinking she might be saying things like, you know, get rid of him or something. <laughs> uh, we've heard everything, I'm telling you. And um, she said, we want, we want him saved. So as she's saying that, I'm at, I, I, I talk with the Lord. Lord, what are you saying? He said, Acts 16.31. Remind her, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved in your house. And so I said, when do you want your husband saved? And she was really confused that she'd never been. She, what, uh, Thursday? <laughs> I said, what time? Uh, one o'clock? I said, okay, Father, we agree together right now that this Thursday at one o'clock he'll be saved. That Thursday at one o'clock, Jesus visited him and he got saved. Now that's for somebody in here. The Lord reminded me of that. You, you know, we put limits on God because of our unbelief. So many of you in here have family that is not saved, but you have a covenant. Instead of begging, agree. Lord, I thank you. They're like fish on a hook. They can't get away. Let them run a little bit, wear themselves out. That's okay, but they're, they're coming in. Because even if they spit the hook, the net's got them. Hallelujah. So I'm going to try and get into what I was trying to get into this week. One of, the, one of the most profound insights that I have received in my life that set me on a course of intimacy with God like I've never known before it was a little-known principle, and I've touched on it the last few days, and it's about the sanctified imagination or what you behold. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. My mother used to read that to us and say, Always keep it a moment. Well, that's easy for you to say when you're not walking through it. But if you focus on the problem, it's going to be a long time. But if you say, Well, okay, this is working something out in me. I, I'm going through. It changes everything is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How do you get through these things? While we do not look at the things which are seen. Stop looking at the problem. But at the things which are not seen. Now that's an oxy I mean that's a conundrum right there. How do you look at something that's not seen? Right? That's one of those scripture passages you just kind of jump over because it's way too far beyond our logic and reason. Well, it's not that we need logic and reason, it's that we need revelation. And it's really quite simple. For the things which are seen are temporary or momentary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So he, here's, clearly he's telling us to look at the eternal realm. Now God doesn't speak something like that without making a way for you to do that. He would be unjust to tantalize and tempt you with something you could never enter into. So in order to perceive and walk in an open heaven, you have to develop a visual capacity. I am convinced that spiritual blindness is far more incapacitating than physical blindness. It, it just is. 
We are not of this world anymore. We're, we're citizens of another realm. A realm that we have access to, but here's the catch. It's by faith. That's what trips people up consistently. And what is faith? Faith is, you know, we've heard so much teaching on faith. Faith is a substance. Yes, it is. I, I, I talk to people all the time. People come up for healing all the time, and they say, well, I want to be healed. My first question is, well, how are you going to know you're healed? Uh, you know, the little more inculcated into the stream of the rainbow. Well, by faith. I say, well, that's good. What does faith look like? What? Well, listen, if you have a broken arm and you want to be healed, what does faith look like? No more break. If you're praying and believing God for a car, what does faith look like? That car. Do you understand? Faith, faith is a substance, and what you focus on, it forms. So if you don't see yourself healed, sit back down until you can develop that within yourself. Because what you behold, you become. That's basic faith. But the other thing this is this. The best def definition of faith is this, trust. You know, when I was in the Army, you go through boot camp and you go through a lot of training and you find out who you would never want to be in a foxhole with. Look, you know who's going to get you killed. Because they don't pay attention to detail, they're sloppy, they don't do things the way they're... I mean... You just know you can't trust them because if they're told to do something, it doesn't get done. Those things can kill you in a field of combat. So you develop a relationship and a camaraderie with those that you can actually trust. And that builds to the point where they say, I got your back, you know it's done. So faith is trust. You only develop in faith through relationship with God. Because the more you know him, the more you trust him. That's, that's so simple. So every time you see faith in Scripture, just put in that picture of relationship that develops into trust. I was sharing with Pastor Sherman one of the days we were here. You know, years ago, the Lord said to me, do you know me? I said, well, of course, Lord. Instantly, I got a visual of Mount Rainier. How many of you have ever seen Mount Rainier? Down here, you've got... Shasta and all these. See, you recognize these all over, right? Shasta's not as good because it's barren pretty much. But Rainier is massive. And so from growing up all over the state, you could recognize Mount Rainier. Well, he said, what about if I had somebody kidnap you, blindfold you, drive you around for hours, maybe a day or two, in the trunk, and then drop you off on the side of Mount Rainier? Would you know where you're at? Probably not. He said, yeah, that's how people treat me. They know me until they're up close and then they don't know me. There's no personal relationship. It's a distant recognition, but it's not a relationship. We need relationship in order to progress in trust and intimacy. That's why you hear me said it a hundred times if I've said it once. Stop chasing miracle signs and wonders. Stop pursuing the spectacular. Pursue Jesus, who's the embodiment of everything you have ever wanted. One time, I was, we were ministering in 
Belfast, Northern Ireland in an Elam Pentecostal church. And during the worship, all of a sudden, there was a 12-foot angel on the platform blowing a, show, a trumpet, a shofar. And I said, Lord, what is this? And when I asked him immediately, he said, come up here. I was gone. I was standing in front of the throne of God. And I fell on my face and worshipped. When I could stand up, now that was the sea of glass. When I stood up, I looked, there was about 400 of us. Three or 400, I don't remember. And there stood the, sat the Father, and you could see him from here down. We couldn't look any higher because it would have, I mean, we would have vaporized. There was, we weren't in that place where we could do that. But he sat there, and he, his hands were on his throne. And then he had a scepter, and he picked it up, and he pointed and he's, he communicated up to half the kingdom, whatever you want. No thought, no hesitation. Immediately my spirit said, Lord, all of you and none of me, I just want to be like Jesus. And he put it back. Waited, a, I don't know how long, he did it again. Up to half the kingdom. Instant, same response. The third time, the same response. And after the third time, boom, I'm back in the meeting like this. And then this thing kicked in. The soul. And I started berating, you know, the soul stuff. Are you out of your mind? You've got this list of things you've been asking God about and for, and that's the best you can come up with? That's the first time I actually recognized the voice of my flesh. My spirit knew exactly what to ask for. My flesh knew what it wanted. But as I sat there, stood there going... Wow. All of a sudden, I recognized something. What my spirit had asked for would take care of everything else. Everything shifted that day for me because as I was still pondering this, the Lord put a signet ring on my finger. I didn't get to share with Reshma what had just happened. I went up and ministered, and she said afterwards, what in the world happened to you? That was like the Father himself came in, not you. I said, you're right. You know, when you receive a signet ring from a father in Hebrew culture, you have now come of age. You are now recognized as a son who can comport and do business in the family name. By the way, that was on a Rosh Hashanah, and that's what he released to the body of Christ nine years ago. Totally changed my life. And there was a faith because of this relationship that had gone to a quantum leap forward, a faith that exploded within me, and I was looking for anything. Just, ugh. And the first person that came up for prayers, he said, my mother-in-law's in the hospital on her deathbed. She's not supposed to make it through the night, and she's not saved. I said, what is it you want? I want her to be healed and saved, and like a volcano going off, ugh. I can't describe it anymore. That was the gift of faith. And I just, well, I don't remember. We commanded that thing. He said, thank you, and left. The next day he came back and he said, you won't believe what I, why do we always say that? <laughs> By the time he got to the hospital, she was up out of her bed, totally healed, walking back and forth, reading the Bible. <laughs> Everything that came forward that night, this volcano would go off. Somebody with multiple personalities. I mean, I could go on and on instantly. Tumors, boom. 
And the Lord said, this is what I'm releasing to my body if they will accept it. How did I start walking in this? I got a principle that I began to put into practice. And it changed everything. As I said the other day, except you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That means if you're born again, you can see. It's not a, well, if you're spiritual enough, if you're mature enough, if you're mystical enough, throw out the religious garbage. And the 12th step, you've got to be perfect program. No, if you're born again, as a child of God, you can see. The reason most people don't is because they're convinced by their peers or their elders, God doesn't do that anymore. That's like having a newborn come into the world and say, you can't see. Close your eyes, you can't see. Just trust me on this. Doesn't matter what the design and the architect of all says about you. You have eyes, but you can't see. Don't use them. That's how ludicrous this is. By the way, in the kingdom of heaven, when you were born again, there are no handicapped people. You have the full faculties that God intended for you to have. Don't trip myself. And so the problem is, because we're never instructed and told that we can, we don't exercise so that we are fluent. There's a friend we know in uh, the Philippines. He came out of the, w- of the womb. I mean, he was, they put him in an incubator because he came early, and he punched a hole through it as a baby. So he got the nickname Hercules. All of his life he was told he's extremely strong, and you know what? <laughs> he went with what he was told. He developed into a world-class bodybuilder, boxer, weightlifter, and now he's born again, saved, and he instructs people in health and how to, you know. But that was built into it because they were told, this is what you are. I want you to know, this is what you are. You are a, you're a child of God that has more than six senses in the realm of the Spirit. You can see. Now, some people, as soon as they're born again, that's, you know, they start walking in that. I don't like those people much. No. <laughs> But we have an innate gift. But that doesn't mean you're excluded from that. I was a perceiver. And I perceived the truth of the word that that belonged to me. I just didn't know how to get there. But that didn't deter me. That just made me more determined. It says I can do that. I don't care if Pastor Profound says I can't. The Bible says I can. I'm going to do it. And so I, you know, I learned I had to do it in quiet because I didn't need the encouragement of the, the disbelievers. God can't. He won't. And he doesn't. So I just kept quiet and kept pursuing God. And it's interesting, this word see is, is we spiritualize it. Well, you know, no, it means see. That, that was tough. You know, you want a good definition of religion? Taking something that is simple and making it difficult. Relationship is keeping it simple. And so it's literal. You can see the kingdom of heaven, just like he told Nicodemus. You can see. Not only can you see, 
in the realm of the Spirit, it doesn't take this to go. It takes a decision, and you go. My book, Gazing into Glory, originally I wanted to name it Seeing and Going, Your Birthright. And they said, ah, that probably won't sell. I said, I'm not worried about sell. I didn't write books to make money. I didn't care about that. Trust me, I haven't. I don't care. We still haven't caught up to what it cost us to do all that, what it cost him. He sovereignly and supernaturally paid for that. I didn't, so it's none of my business. But you know what? I wanted to name it something else. They said, no, name it this. This is the catchphrase, gazing into glory. And I prayed and said, God, really, do I have to do this? He said, just do it. Anyway, I could tell you a long story on that. So, in Luke 24, 16, their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. The question is, what, what blocked them from knowing Jesus, from seeing him and he truly was? Well, they had a religious box. This is the road to Emmaus experience. I shared that the other night. They're on a journey early in the morning. On the third day, one of his names was Cleopas, which means called of God. Two is the number of witness. Emmaus means to be hot from sunrise to sunset. So we could paraphrase it and say this. Pay attention, those of you who are called of God early in the morning on the third day. I have a destination in mind for you, consistent passion. And the moment you move towards consistent passion, Jesus himself will come alongside and open the word and explain everything in there concerning himself. And they still didn't recognize him. Why? Because they were hoping that. See, they had a preconceived idea. But when they reached their, their destination of Emmaus, consistent passion, Jesus blessed the bread, and their eyes were open, and they knew him. This is, this is where we're at in this hour. This is, a, <laughs> this is a glaring sign of where we are prophetically. If you've not walked in it yet, you're going to. It's going to be activated in your life today. This belongs to you. Don't settle for anything. Don't let the devil or the religious system steal your inheritance in your birthright. Refuse it. In Acts chapter 9, verse 9, it says that Paul was there three days without sight. Well, we're early in the morning on the third day. On the third day, he received his sight. We're receiving our sight. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus said to the disciples, There are some of you standing here today which will not taste of death until they see the kingdom of God coming with power. That was the sixth day. Verse 2 says, Now on the seventh day, we're the seventh from Adam. On the seventh day, that's today, not because it's Sunday, prophetically a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. I'm not going to go through all that again. On the seventh day, he took Peter, James, and John up into a high mountain, and he was transfigured, transformed, or translated before them. And what it did is the inward man, the man of light, because he was created in the image of his father too, took the preeminent position. That's why they said his clothes were so bright, so white, nobody on earth could make them that way. No, you can't, because Psalm 104, verses... 1 and 2 says God is clothed with light as with a garment. 
Jesus just showed himself to his disciples, the real him. And when he made the decision by faith to do this, according to the will of God, the veil was removed, and he was talking to Moses and Elijah face to face. So here's just a simple question. All these naysayers that say, you can't talk to the saints that have gone by, that's necromancy. I guess you better talk with Jesus about that. Come on. You take things out of context. Saul went to a witch and said, call up the dead. You don't do that. You pursue Jesus, and if he wants to send Moses or Elijah or Zechariah or Amos or your great-grandmother, that's his decision. You didn't do it. And by the way, we are one church, not two separate entities. We're one body. You have a soul, you have a spirit, you're clothed in a body. We have, a, we, we have the full thing here. They're just the spirit aspect, if you will, of the same body. Stop getting tripped up with religion and stinking thinking. Get back to Scripture. And if you're not given to do word studies, then find somebody who loves to do that so you can learn the truth and stop living a life lackadaisically in the kingdom. There's so much more that belongs to us. But it's got to line up with Scripture. I'll say it again. It's got to line up with Scripture. Your experience does not go higher than Scripture. This is the plumb line. Not your experience. So Jesus said, the things that I do, you can do. You mean I could have encounters like that? You learn how to clothe yourself or release that self of yours that's clothed with light as with a garment. You know what's interesting? When the Lord started teaching about that, I was sharing, you, sharing that with you last night. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and then God said, it's not good that man be alone. He needs a manager. He... <laughs> Oops. That's the gospel according to Garp, for those of you who remember Garp. He put Adam into a deep sleep so he couldn't make his own decision. <laughs> she got it. He took a rib out of his side that was the rib. Stop it. It was the rib closest to his heart. And again, as I said, and he formed Eve. Again, he didn't say, I'm going to clone Adam so he's got an equal. See, the whole body's not the bride. You're going to figure this out one way or another. <laughs> and then this is what Adam said. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. What do we say? Well, that's my flesh and blood. That's accurate. When Jesus rose from the dead and he went to Thomas and the other disciples, he said, look, put your nail in the finger in my, my wrist and in my side and know that I'm flesh and bone. Wait, 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 flesh and blood? Well, you know, Jesus gave all of his blood. No, that's not the reason. Life is in the blood. So what, what was he living on? 
Well, in the Garden of Eden and in paradise, and Jesus in his resurrected body, there was something that was life within them that sustained them, and that was light. Science has discovered and proven that blood is congealed light. It, when they ate of the tree, that light that was in them congealed into something that was darker than the original intent. It's still life within us, but it's not the intended life of light that God wanted. The good news is, you're now in Christ. Your life is not in your blood. It's in the glory of God and the light of God that's within you. And you can release that in your mortal body. I've done it. I don't know why I'm saying this. I'm going to do it. One day, after we'd come home from a long year of travel, I was sitting in my, and I write about this in my book, Gazing into Glory, sitting in my office, and all of us, you ever had a toothache? If you haven't, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Not wait a minute. I didn't get one, I got four, all four quadrants. Just all of a sudden, you know, you kind of go cross-eyed and like, whoa. And I, I, I hate dental work. I like dentists, I hate dental work. Got to be careful. Especially when you're laying there with your mouth open, here comes this long night, you know, I'm going to inject you. It's like, dear God. And, and, and so I, I talked with a dentist, and he only wanted $17,000. Kid you not? And I said, you're out of your mind. You're not retiring on me. So I went back, and I'm, I'm praying and standing on the Word and saying, God, there's no way. There's no way. You know, I tried that old thing, put an aspirin there, and the only thing I got was a foul taste in my mouth. <laughs> Nothing worked, and I, after two weeks, I'm sitting there exhausted. Just, oh, my, Lord, what do I do? I finally asked. <laughs> he said, release that glory, release that light. So as I'm sitting there, I didn't say it out loud. I just, in my heart, I released the glory. And I saw my mouth, I released the glory, and all of a sudden, all pain, it's like somebody pulled the plug and it just went, gone. And I was healed. I said, oh, Lord, why didn't you tell me that two weeks ago? He said, you didn't ask. That's how he teaches me. Needless to say, I've never learned that, I've forgotten that lesson. I've used it before. When things come, I just release the glory. I release that which is deposited within me, and healing comes. Deliverance comes. Peace comes. So I'm telling you, this works not because it's, you know, theory, because I practiced it. That was a freebie. <laughs> so Jesus said this in John 1.51, Most assuredly I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's not figurative. That's literal. Literal. Ephesians 1.17. Now, now I'm going to get into this. Paul praying says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Here's the key. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling or what his destiny is for you. 
Now the key to all of this is imagination. Jesus considered imagination as reality. Matthew 5.28, he says, I say unto you that whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. Your imagination is your reality. Now let me define that because this is not constrained or just pointing at men. This is anybody not looking with the natural eye. That's the eye gate. That's where it first comes in. But as you continue to look at it and meditate on it and mull it over, those are the eyes of your spirit. And when you do that, it drops into your heart and it consumes you. You've already committed it. That's reality to God. When Elijah had finished his greatest victory on Mount Carmel and killed 850 false prophets. And Jezebel is angry. She sends a messenger and says, tell that man that about this time tomorrow I'm going to take his head just like he took the head of my prophets. And Scripture says in 1 Kings 19, when he saw that. Where did he see it? Right there. And when he saw that, he ran. Job said, I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes that I'm not going to look or meditate after a young woman. It's not the natural eye. The battleground has always been between your two ears. You're inundated with light or reflections of light, that's what we see, all day long. That light can either be life or darkness within you. It depends upon what you do with it. That's why Jesus gave us a solution. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Casting down imaginations and everything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, say every, captive to the obedience of Christ. Christians don't do this. We're lazy. We're lackadaisical. We just let that thing wander. Because we're undisciplined, because we didn't really know. But I'm telling you, if you start adamantly, diligently dealing with this, you'll see a drastic change in your life. The devil will give up. He's so used to having free access to you that if you start saying, absolutely not, I cast that down, get away from me, after a while he's going to go, that doesn't work anymore. We've got to figure out a new strategy. You know what? The new strategy doesn't work because if you see yourself covered in the blood, surrounded by the glory, surrounded by the angels, there is no strategy to beat that. Now, what are the eyes of your understanding in First Ephesians 1.17? Now, he's not just talking about knowledge or thinking. That is a type of, and God doesn't address that so much as when he's talking about us being built up into him. No, he's talking about supernatural understanding. What do I see? What's in front of them? Let's say that again. What do I see? What's in front of them? That's what they're created for. 
By the way, that was Job 31.1. You're welcome. <laughs> so what you see can affect what you think. It does all the time. It, it creates your world, if you will. You know, we were talking about some things. When I grew up, my dad was a Catholic priest before he got married. Just say it. I am not an immaculate conception. And, but there was a God-sized hole in his heart. It just, you know, so he left that. But he always had this pull towards God. And then he got married, and my mother was saved in a Bible camp as a young girl. And so when they got married, she prayed for my dad for 17 years. 17 years. But my dad was pretty rough around the edges, you know. He was a driven man because he never measured up to his mother's standard. He, he became the best at everything he did, just trying to win her approval. There was rejection, betrayal in his life. Abandonment. I mean, he didn't have that familial love and acceptance. So he became the best. He had pro hockey contracts. He had... Scholarships to Texas A&M for basketball, baseball. Everything he did in business, he, I mean, he succeeded. He, he just never failed. But what he did with me and, and, and uh, the rest of us, if we did something wrong, he said, you're no good, you'll never amount to anything. And he built within me. Now, that's been redeemed, just so you know. You can't give what you don't have. He built within me this, this scheme of rejection and betrayal and, and I'm unworthy and I'll never amount to anything. Even when I got saved the first year, I, don't, I said the sinner's prayer at least a thousand times because every time I made a mistake, I was rejected in my own heart and I had to go back and say, God, forgive me, I really want to be saved. I didn't know any better. I literally, you know, the old timer said you had to pray through to salvation. I understand that because, because of the scheme that had been working in my life. I could go on and on. The truth is, in Christ, if you see yourself as He sees you, all of that is gone. You don't have to live with that. So we have to, how do we change that scheme in us to the life that is in Him? We spend time with Him. We keep it in front of our eyes. Don't let the world program you. Don't let religion program you. Don't let your past program you. Let God fill you with light and life. He says, I am, therefore I am. And I don't care what it looks like, sounds like, smells like. It's, it doesn't matter. God says, I am. Period. Now, that took a while for me to get there. It took a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, to see the scheme in my life and break it off. But once I got free, I'm free indeed. Now, in Matthew 12, 36, it says, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, or logos, or thoughts, you will be justified, and by your words, or thoughts, you will be condemned. What you think is recorded in heaven. Every one of you in this room, I see this consistently. We have guardian angels, we have scribe angels also. Everything you say, think, and do is written down. 
It's recorded. You have no privacy. <laughs> but what you do have is an eraser called the blood of Jesus. That's it. Instead of having a whole library dedicated to your life, you can have one volume washed in the blood, cleansed. Don't know about you, but there's a lot of things over the years that I've thought and don't want that in there. <laughs> now, there are two basic Greek words that deal with the mind. In Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the Greek word dianoia. It's imagination. The New Dictionary of Theology, Volume 3, says that any time the word dianoia is used in relation to the heart, it always means imagination. How do you love God with your imagination? Well, remember, for those of you that have... When you fell in love, and all you could think about and see and meditate on was that other. You think about him, you dream about him, you dream about your life. To, okay, we'll leave the foo-foo behind, guys. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. You love God with your imagination because he has so captivated your heart and your attention. All you can see is him. Your whole desire is, I just want you. That's how you love God with your imagination. And you honor Him because you sanctify it and you cast down anything that's not Him. Vine's Dictionary says, Dianoia is the faculty renewed by the Holy Spirit called the imagination. It's all throughout it. So, here's another example. In Luke 1.29, when Gabriel had come to visit Mary, she said this, and when she saw Him, she was troubled at His saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this is. It's raining bottles of water. That's the Greek word dialogizimo, the logical reasoning mind. Now there's nothing wrong with a logical reasoning mind. Unless it's not sanctified. Then it becomes a barrier between reason and reality. What's reality? The realm of the spirit. Your reason, the reasoning of man will keep you from the kingdom. That's what Jesus told the, the, the Pharisees. You keep men out. You neither enter in, don't, and you don't allow them to go in. Why? Because they had elevated their understanding of Scripture above the Word of God. That's what we get in religion now. Have you read the latest commentary? No! I don't want somebody's intellectual understanding of Scripture and the parsing and the you know, all this good stuff. For who cares? I studied that too long and had to shake it off. No, what I want is the breath of the Spirit to bring revelation and insight. You know what's interesting? I, I prayed for a long time. Lord, just, just download the Hebrew into me. So far, I'm doing good at studying. But here's what happens. There are times under the inspiration and the flow of the Spirit, because I'm a prophetic teacher. He says, open that scripture and go. And I'm like, I've never even read that scripture. What are you talking about? And all of a sudden, he downloads revelation. And I give him the meaning of the Greek and the Hebrew, and then afterwards I went, oh my God, I might have lied. Because I didn't study that, and I go back, and that's what it was. Yeah. 
And he said, well, you asked. He did it again. He gave it to me, just not the way I asked. <laughs> See, you've got to be specific with God. <laughs> Matter of fact, we have a, a rabbi friend in, in Australia. I said, man, I really want to learn the Hebrew. He said, why? You're already teaching it. I said, I am? He said, when you give definitions and meanings of words, it's, it's, it's wonderful, it's accurate. I went, oh, well... <laughs> Still would rather... Anyway. So, <laughs> imagination. Imagination. Or intellect. Sanctified. There's two different meanings. If you don't study this and understand this, it's never going to work. It says of Paul in Acts 18.4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Why? That's dialogismal, the intellect. Why? Because he was against a Greco-Roman mindset that all they understood was reason. So God can touch his intellect with inspiration from heaven, and he could reason supernaturally. Not intellectually. You ever had a conversation or an argument with somebody, and afterwards you go, ah, I wish I said this and done that. Because you know, afterwards you get to think about it a little bit, you could have done it so much better. <laughs> Well, this is God when you're faced with a situation gives you inspiration and you can speak it in love and convince and convict and exhort. Logical reasoning mind. Now, the devil wants you to misunderstand imagination. Uh, let me tell you, the first time I said anything about imagination, they went, oh, new age. I said, no, old age. Bible. It's in Scripture. I, I mean, the truth is, I kind of thought that way because I was inculcated. I was trained up in the religious system. I thought it was of the devil, too. Yeah, real imagination. No, 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 no. Got to be led of the Spirit. I didn't even understand what I was saying. Aren't we glad God is merciful? I mean, kids act like kids. Children act like children. I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> when I was pastoring, and Reshma said it the other day, 20% of the people take 80% of the time. Well, 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 you know, you want to help people. But if they're not going to help themselves, quit wasting my time. That's the prophet in me. Cry me a river, build a bridge, get over it. Next. So I was, get, I was getting so frustrated because it's the same people with the same issues time after time. And I knew it was a, a spiritual thing and it had heart issues. And you try and deal with those things, but they, they just didn't want to be helped because they'd lose their identity. And so I said, God, why do your people always act like children? He said, well, they are. Boom. And he showed me their spiritual growth, not their natural. And I went, oh, wait, 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 wait. I didn't sign up to be a nursery care worker. He said, yes, you did. I went, oh, man. But you know what? It changed my heart. I had a younger brother named Troy. He's one of the, he was the catalyst. His destiny was to become seed for our family. He was born with cerebral palsy, brain damage at birth. The doctor said he will never walk, talk, or take an education. And by the time he's 40, he might have the mental capacity of a four- or five-year-old. I remember my dad, proud, arrogant. No child of mine will ever be abnormal. 
I joked with him today, he said, you missed. <laughs> By the way, my dad was delivered of that. He became, he's so loving, it's, it's nauseating sometimes. <laughs> he just loves everybody. He does, and they love him. And, oh, hi, Bruce. So he, he could afford the best doctors and the best medical silence of the day. So at the age of 10, my brother was walking and talking. He was in a special school t- taking education. He could have been a world-class distance runner. I was a distance runner, and he could outrun me like I was standing still. <laughs> but then he died in a drowning accident. And when they found him at the bottom of the pool, when they emptied the pool and he was there, he had a big smile on his face. And of course, that so affected my dad, he was brokenhearted. I mean, you learn to love people because of special needs. I mean, he taught all of us how to love the unlovely. There's nothing to fear. And so, that caused my dad to really start hitting the bottle. He was brokenhearted. He was grieving. He started drinking. One day he was invited to a businessman's lunch. He thought, oh, I can get a chaser and get rid of this hangover. He didn't hear full gospel businessman's lunch. (laughs) And he got saved. So that's how we got saved. So the Lord showed me after I got saved, he said, your brother fulfilled his destiny. We always think he got cut off in the prime. No, he fulfilled his destiny. He came to be a catalyst and a seed Not only did my whole family got saved, but millions of people around the world because my father became an evangelist. And I'm in ministry. Millions of people. He fulfilled his... That's why he was smiling. I got to see him in heaven once. He said, tell dad and mom I'm waiting for them. God's awesome. Now... So the devil wants you to misunderstand. The eyes of your understanding. That's the word dianoia. Paul's praying that the eyes of your imagination will be enlightened. Or photizo. Where you get the word photograph. The eyes of your understanding would properly frame pictures of the kingdom so that you might know your destiny. Did you get that? Somebody got the picture, yeah. The eyes, let me do it again. The eyes of your imagination would be enlightened. Or fotizo. The eyes of your imagination would properly frame pictures of the kingdom so you might know what your destiny is. So wait a minute, you mean if I just make something up in my imagination, that's what I'm going to? No and yes, and yes and no. Because as you learn how this works, let me give you this understanding. You have a body, you have a soul, you have a spirit. Two-thirds of you are eternal, your soul and your spirit. This old garment you get to get off, throw away and get a new one. Ladies, you like shopping, you get a new garment. Listen, your salvation is worked out. Doesn't Scripture say work out your own salvation? That's your soul. You've got a lifelong process of conforming it to the mind of Christ. That's why that's the only place the battle is. We always think it's out there. No, it's right here because if you see it, 
as Jesus sees it, battles are not battles, they're victories. They're just victories waiting for you to walk in. So, the sanctified imagination or the sanctified intellect, but in particular, the sanctified imagination builds a bridge between the natural realm and the eternal realm. It builds the bridge. Because what you focus on, you will eventually connect with, and that connection releases, releases activation. I told you about Walter Butler, who for one year sat in his study from 2 to 3 in the morning, talking with Jesus as a friend. He was properly framing a picture of Jesus. Does it matter that it was accurate? No! You're building a bridge. Don't get hung up on the minutia. Take the principle and practice. That's why the lady in, in Asia said, is Jesus Chinese? Absolutely. You're all part of his body, so he's red and yellow, black and white, short, tall, fat, skinny. It doesn't matter. Quit that stuff. That's foolish. That's children, childish. You properly frame a picture. You begin to interact and communicate with God, and you see Him sitting there, and guess what? After one year, boom, there was an activation, and Jesus walked in and He saw Him clearer for the rest of His life. That's how Neville got started. He put that into practice because Walter Butler was a dear friend of his. So those of you that are not given to, to the gift of seer doesn't hinder you if you're passionate. Doesn't have to hinder you. Neville? Everybody knows Neville. Neville Johnson is a, a dear friend, a pastor. Too long to tell a story. During the Jesus, the hippie movement, you know, the Jesus movement, when so many got saved, he was in New Zealand, had the largest church in New Zealand, thousands getting saved. Walter Butler became a friend and would come and taught them principles of how to see and, and do things in a different way. So he made all of his staff, all of his pastors and staff, take one hour every single day, go to the gym, and one hour every single day, practice the presence. He said, productivity, everything went through the roof because they were physically fit and they were spiritually fit. And so he's become a dear friend. And I've heard in the 70s, when he began the early 70s, I mean, God opened his spiritual eyes after this practice 24-7 for over 40 days. He's seeing constantly. He said it almost drove us insane because even when you sleep, your spiritual eyes are open and it was hard to sleep. And that's where he learned so much in the realm of the Spirit that sustains him and carries him today. He's still discovering truths from Scripture about what he walked in. And he finally said, God, if you don't take this away, I'm going to go crazy. I said, oh, I wish I'd have known you then. You could have said, God, I'm going to go crazy. Give it to Bruce. <laughs> he already is crazy. No. But I mean, so that's Neville. You can watch him on YouTube, by the way. The eyes of your understanding, your imagination being enlightened. To doubt with the heart means to doubt with the imagination. Say that again. To doubt with your heart means you're doubting with your imagination. If you don't see yourself healed, you're in doubt. 
It's that simple. I've, I've, I've tested this time and again. People come up for prayer. I say, how are you going to know you're healed? Well, uh, one guy said, when I wake up in the morning, there'll be no pain. I said, go in peace. Your faith has made you whole. And the church is going, that's a letdown. We expected a spectacular flopping movie. We want a show. Jesus wanted results. And he was instantly, the next morning, he, he totally healed. We've seen this time after time. I didn't even, oh, no. I didn't even pray, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Why? Because I came in the character of Christ and I did exactly what he said. You do what he says to do. Hello? Sometimes he said, just go up and pat a brother on the back. God touches them, they get healed, they get the depression. Look, we're, we're called to be obedient. Anyway, we're having fun? Okay. Let me move forward. You're getting the picture. Now, Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate. That's the Hebrew word yetzer. Imagine therein day and night. You're to imagine this day and night. That you may observe to do. Ever wonder why he said observe to do? We think that's a, you know, just kind of... No. You imagine it so you observe it so you can do it. You imagine it so you can observe it to do it. All that is written. Not some. All. Now, now listen. When it came to translation by faith... And I understood these principles. I said, okay, I'm imagining so, and observing so I can do. Now, I had built enough in my spirit through study of the word and seeing what had ha- seeing, seeing how this patriarchs and the, those in scripture had walked in this. And so I saw, I observed, so that I could do the same thing. I began to mold it over, to meditate on it, to see it, to see myself doing it. And when I did that, it was released. You know, I told you, at 12 years old, I wanted to be a fighter pilot astronaut. I had posters on the wall. I had cockpits and all the instrumentation. I knew all the flight. I mean, this was an obsession with me. I just, I've never been halfway in something I love. So, I mean, and I would observe. I would see myself flying all the time. Well, they said, because you're colorblind, you can't be a fighter pilot. But you know what? I went on to get a private pilot. You know what? The first time they they let you have a test ride, and then they let you take the yoke so that you can fly. And so he said, here you go. And I started doing this. And they said, well, how many hours have you got? I said, it's the first time I've been in an airplane. No, no, no. Come on, really. How many hours have you got flying? I said, this is the first time I've been in an airplane. They said, oh, really? You, You must be a natural. No, I've been observing for years. Some years later after that, I got to go fly a helicopter too. The same thing. They said, here, you take the yoke and the cyclic and give it a shot. Because you know, I was going to take lessons. He said, wow, that's great. How many hours have you got? None. No, you're, come on, you're pulling my leg. How many, how many times? None. Well, you, wow, you, you must be a natural. So that's not to say, look at me, that I'm a natural. That's to say, I, I was utilizing spiritual principles that I didn't even realize. 
But now that I know how powerful the Word of God is, and if I focus on the kingdom of God and observe to do or imagine to do according to what's written there, I can do anything. Because every promise that's in here is mine. And it's yours. So I observe it. Raising of the dead. Well, that used to be the pinnacle. If you've raised the dead, you have arrived. I just, you know, I, I was a pastor. I raised the dead every Sunday. When I, when I dismissed them, they came alive and left. Doesn't Matthew 10, 7 and 8 says, as you go, wherever you are in your life, preach. I don't know how to preach. Well, that's why he gave you seven words for the seventh day. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's your, that's your message. Now do the stuff. Heal the sick. You notice he didn't say just heal human beings that are sick. Whatever's sick, heal it. Reshma's good with plants. It's, it's amazing. Cleanse the lepers. Now, there's, that's a fascinating study. I won't get into that. Raise the dead, like on Sunday. And cast out demons. Freely you have received, therefore, merchandise and give. No, that's not what it says. Freely give. Isn't it interesting when he said raise the dead, he didn't say they could only be dead for two hours. He didn't say two days, two weeks, two months, two centuries. He just said, you go raise the dead. Who puts a limit on God? But if I observe to do... Look, after church, go down to the local graveyard and start practicing. I shared, I, look at, I shared this in, in a gathering in Asia, and this man afterwards came over and says, you know, we do that in the underground church in China. I said, do what? He said, we raise the dead. I said, tell me. He said, well, we go down to the graveyard, a couple of us, and we pray and say, Lord, who hasn't fulfilled their destiny? And they walk among the gravestones, and when they come upon one and the Lord said, this one, then they pray and call him out, and this person comes out of the grave. Some of them have been there for years. And they say, you know, the question everybody asks is, how do they get out? Who cares? <laughs> what are you focused on? We bury them in China with a shovel, just in case. <laughs> yeah. But hey, do you understand now? What? Well, let me finish. That's a good, that's a fair question. The only one in the grave is an unsaved person. When Jesus said to raise the dead, you study scripture yourself. Anytime he talked about a follower of his, a follower of Jesus, they were asleep. But those who were outside of Christ were dead. So when he said raise the dead, look at, if, if I were to, and I'm not going to, if I were to drop dead right here and you prayed me back, I'd come back swinging. I'd slap you senseless. Why in the world do I want to come back from heaven? Unless God specifically said to do that. So we don't just arbitrarily, oh, somebody just died, let's go pray your resurrection. No, you say, Father, what are you saying? 
Then you don't have to look like, oh, you Christians, you're so powerless. No, you Christians are under obedience, and if you only do what he says to do, you'll never fail. So, yes, there are instances of those who are unredeemed coming out of the grave. No, it's an old one. (laughs) All right, let's bring this in. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no man despise your youth. Now, I used to think that had to do with chronological age. No, spiritual too. Don't tell a newborn in Christ, you can't pray for people because you're, you're not you're well-educated in our doctrine yet. No. Encourage him and say, by the way, let me help you. Let's go do this. Don't let, let no man despise your youth, but be an example. Believers need examples. Do you know that? To the believers, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. No, imagine these things. Dianoia. Give yourself wholly to them, that your profiting may appear to all. It's all throughout Scripture. I told you about being in Bible college and being terrified of standing in front of people so I'd go to the empty chapel and preach to empty seats. But I was seeing. I was seeing my destiny. I would see healings. I would see deliverances. I'd see raisings of the dead. I saw it all. And I kept building that into my spirit. And you know, the condemnation, the devil hated that. Oh, you're no good. You can't do that. You're not holy enough. You're not pure enough. You're not righteous enough. Finally, I got to the point and said, you know, you're right. But Jesus is. And he's in me. And where I'm weak, and you just proved I'm really weak, he's strong. So get away from me. Or I'll turn him loose on you. (laughs) Hallelujah. Why did God give you an imagination? So you'd use it. See, part of... Presenting your members as instruments of righteousness under God, the two that you can give the best are the logical reasoning mind and the imagination. Everything that's ever been created in this world started in an imagination. And it's an indictment against the church that we're not leading in every endeavor on earth with all the greatest new inventions because God gifted you with an ability to receive sanctified insights, revelations, and imaginations to create technologies that haven't even been witnessed. But we haven't learned how to tap in to the eternal realm and allow it to be released. There are, you've heard this. There are inventions about to come that have never been seen. But God wants to do it through His people. So why don't you start imagining yourself as a representative of the kingdom of heaven developing new systems, new protocols, new technologies. Start imagining that. Start seeing it because what you focus on, you'll connect with and God will release the reality. It'll be activated. When I learned this, I started practicing. Practice makes proficient. You know that? Forget the perfect part because you only know in part. Practice makes proficient. And I would practice this, and I'd like to say I did it every single day for an hour. 
I didn't. I would forget whole weeks. And I'd repent. So God forgive me. I didn't condemn myself. It took me 40 some years to learn how to be a fool in the world. Give myself a little grace to learn how to walk in the kingdom. So I don't condemn myself. I just say, forgive me, Father. And I start practicing some more. And I practice some more. And I practice some more. And one day we were doing a conference. My dad, brother Andre Ashby, and myself in uh, Seattle, Washington. And I'm on the platform. It was my night to speak. And I'm looking at a scripture, and I saw movement out of the corner of my eye, and there stood Jesus. He, had on a, he was clothed in the glory, obviously, but he had a purple robe over that. The first thing I did, the first thing I always do, is I thought, did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? He smiled and went like that, and I saw the nail prints. The false don't have that. They won't recognize Jesus Christ coming. And then I turned, and then he turned and looked at me. He was about six foot two piercing blue eyes and he smiled and I just kind of went <laughs> my friend Andre sitting on the front he said it, he said that was how he saw a purple orb behind me we'll talk about those some other time and then he saw it next to me he didn't know what I was seeing but he saw the purple God began to move in that house that was the first time I see him gazed at him with wide open eyes because I put a principle into practice and I made it my intent and my focus that I was going to walk with him face to face every day. And he gave me the tools to do it and I just gave them to you. It doesn't have to take you 40 years of discovering scripture that releases me to the reality of the kingdom. I just gave it to you. Now what you do with it is between you and God. But you're going to give an account for every word that you've heard. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> Here's the key. If you're willing, God will be your able. You just have to say, oh, Lord, I, I really want to do this. I, I want to see you. He's going, good, because I've been wanting this for you for a long time. I want to have this communion, this fellowship. Amen. And it's a process. Don't get discouraged. It, mine was nine months. I had a little bit better than Brother Butler. You know, he took him a year. No, you know what it is? We're in a season of grace. We're, he was a forerunner. We're benefiting. He plowed the ground. We just have to take it up and say thank you. We're reaping the harvest. We've done this in our schools all over the place, all over the world. I want to tell you something. People just, boom, they're off. They're, they're, they get it. They connect in moments, and I'm like, God, that isn't right. I had to work for this. He said, remember what you keep telling them. Your ceiling is their floor. I said, okay, I'm going to stop telling them that. No. Yeah, I am. Yeah, so they trip. I got it. <laughs> yeah, come here. Yeah. Now, you said you missed and you wanted to be prayed for. But even the day we had lunch, there was something coming off of you that was of God, the essence of God. And the Lord says, you have not yet begun to fulfill your destiny and walk in it. He's removing right now all those voices from your past that spoke into your heart, which you heard 
was spoken into mine. That's gone. And now, Father, what you have given me, I give him. Now, Genesis 11.6, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they imagined to do. You're not going to be kept back from anything you can observe to do. Observe to do. But do it according to Scripture. Do it according to Scripture. Take this tool, harness it, and walk in the kingdom. And you know, look, some people say, well, what if, what if it's just my imagination? What if it's not? God will confirm. You know, most people will say, I told you that testimony at the beginning for, for a purpose, those two little girls. I'm sitting there with my eyes closed. Jesus walks in front of me, and I'm talking to him. And say, well, that's just your imagination. Well, how did they get into my imagination? They didn't. See, you err on the side of faith instead of on the side of doubt. We always move, move backwards to doubt. Well, I don't know if that was. No, I, I believe God's teaching me. I think we're moving into this. Father, I thank you for encouraging me with this. And you know what? Along the way, he will bring course correction. If you've missed, don't worry about that. I always used to think Jesus had a you know, long hair and a long beard. <laughs> Gray, you know. No, forget the Hollywood look. Yeah, I mean, if you have to use that to start with, okay. Doesn't matter, but you're going to get the reality. It's going to be awesome. Some of you met him the other night. Some of you actually saw that. I mean, saw. But look, at that could be every day. He wants to sit down with you. As I began to practice this thing, I, you know, I, it was my habit to always ask Jesus to, to develop a friendship. I hadn't been able to see him yet. But I would always set an extra plate when I was a bachelor and say, hey, you want to go to the movie, do all this? I wasn't seeing him yet, but he was there. I could hear him. But after I learned this, one day Reshma was ministering in Alaska with another woman pastor. They drove up there, and I had to go to Seattle to minister from Spokane. So it's a few-hour drive. And I said, hey, Jesus, you want to go on a road trip? He said, yeah, let's go. And I saw him. He was like, oh, yeah, this sounds fun. So I got in the car, and he got in the car. And I didn't see the door open. I heard it close. He sat down, and so we're driving, and we're just talking. We're two, two buds hanging out. Now, I'm not disrespecting God. This is friendship aspect of God. Do you understand that? He, he wants you to be his friend. So we're talking, and we came through Bellevue and Redmond, where all the wealth was over there, Amazon and Microsoft. And started seeing all these fancy cars, and they're wearing rolls and all this. I said, you know, geez, what, what kind of car do you like? This is guy talk. And, and I waited a couple seconds, and he said, BMW. And I saw a grin on his face and a twinkle in his eye, and I went, BMW? And he laughed. He said, be my witness. <laughs> That's friendship with God. He's real, and he's approachable, and he wants to be your friend. He's also your king, your healer, your bridegroom, 
your brother, your savior, all of the above. But there's times he comes to you in different manifestations of his character to meet the need or the moment that he visits you. And you'll know. So I want to pray for you. Corporately. I already did the individual last night. And by the way, well, let me give you one. Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose imagination is fixed on you. Because he trusts you. Perfect peace comes from this. Fixing your imagination. It goes on and on. I want to pray for you, and the Lord's given me an authority to release an activation in your life. Now, this activation is going to accelerate a process. It doesn't mean you don't have to practice a little bit. You do. But I want to tell you, you don't have to practice for months and years. You can go home tonight and connect. Amen? So let's do this. Keep your eyes closed. I'm going to let you sit this time. Some of you might want to put your right hand, right is greater blessing, greater strength on your eyes. And yeah, there have been people that healed of the natural eye problems. So put your right hand over your eyes. Now, Father, as they do this by faith as a prophetic gesture, we're sanctifying their mind, their imagination, and their logical reasoning mind to be instruments of righteousness in the Master's hands. We choose this morning to offer these up, Lord, as tools in your hands to further the kingdom and to develop relationship with the king. So, Father, right now I speak a release. The scales come off now. The scales fall down now. And they're released to their birthright of seeing in the realm of the Spirit. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Now, keep your eyes closed. This is how easy this is. See yourself sitting on a white sandy beach on a lounge chair with a nice cool iced tea, your feet in the sand, beautiful, soft, warm breeze. All right, come back from that vacation. That's how easy this is. You observe to see. This is how easy it is. Now, when you do things like this, see yourself walking down the streets of Reading. See yourself praying for people, seeing them healed. See yourself being transported to a foreign nation and doing the same thing. This is what builds the connection to the reality of kingdom life. And yes, you're practicing, but practice releases, it connects, and activation comes. Father, release them to it, I pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. So now when you come to church and their eyes are closed, you can say, I was just practicing, Pastor. Pastor.